Okay, we are in Romans chapter 7, and uh, we left off at verse 7 because I wanted to start there today because it begins uh, a a series of thoughts, a a discussion by Paul of a situation that I think we all face, and I think seeing Paul face it and, and learning what he got out of it and what he uh, has communicated to us because of it uh, will, will be helpful to each of us. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. We pray that you would quicken our minds, that you would make us alive in you in a way that we would understand the deep truths that you share with us. We thank you that we can keep coming back again and again and again to the same passages, and that because the word is living and active, we continue to learn more and more of you through them. Point us this morning toward yourself, toward your son Jesus Christ, toward the Holy Spirit in us, toward that finished work on which we depend. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just again to, uh, just a short review here of verses 4 through 6, we talked a little bit about this idea that, um, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, you also were become dead to the law, by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even he who is raised from the dead. We talked about that we are dead to Mr. Law so that we could be married to another, Mr. Grace. The law was given through Moses, Scripture tells us, but grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. Titus 2, it talks about that the grace of God was made visible to all people. That's Jesus who was made visible. So we had become dead to the law by the body of Christ that we should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We read about that in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. (laughs) But... The fruit of the Spirit is this fruit that is born unto God that we bring forth that that wells up in us and sprouts out upon us for the world to see. Then verse 5 goes on, For when we were in the flesh, past tense, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. That's what happens when it's the flesh. The fruit of the flesh is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have the fruit unto God, the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the flesh, which is death. The fruit of the Spirit is life. The fruit of the flesh is death. Verse 6, but now we are delivered from the law. Boy, that's good news, isn't it? We are delivered from the law. That being dead, that being dead wherein we were held. In other words, we're delivered from the law because the law is dead to us. That we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. 
Such an important concept. We serve out of our heart, like Letha said so wonderfully this morning in Sunday school. It comes from our heart. Not by compunction. Not because we're forced. Not out of duty. Not because we owe God something. But because we love. It's what we want to do. Your desire has changed. So we serve in that newness of the Spirit. Not the oldness of the letter. You better serve or else. You better behave or you'll get a whooping. And whoopings from God are no fun. (laughs) So... It isn't about the law. It isn't about serving because you must. It's not about serving so that you don't get squished like a bug. It's so that love gets expressed. Okay, so now let's pick up in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. Wouldn't have known what sin was if there wasn't something to tell you what sin was, would you? And it makes sense. If your parents don't say you're not to take cookies out of that cookie jar, how would you know it was wrong? Cookies are for eating, you're hungry. (laughs) So whatever the law says, that's what shows us what sin is, and that's the job of the law. I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except that the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. The the Greek word under lust and covet is the same exact word. There are three words in this passage we're about to read. Lust, covet, and concupiscence, which is not a word we hear every day. And all of them are the same Greek word, epithumia, or epithumeo, depending on the Verb, the, the form of the verb, word that needs to be used. But it's covet, desire, passionate longing, lust. It's all the same Greek word underneath here. So when you see lust, covet, concupiscence, those things are covetousness or coveting or lust. Or, it's the same word. So, I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet, but sin taking occasion by the commandment. Did you catch that? Sin did something. This is another one of those anthropomorphisms we talked about in Sunday school this morning. That's a big, long, hairy-looking word, isn't it? Anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. We know that anthro, the anthropology, is the study of people, humans. Anthropomorphism. We know what morphing is. Morphing means changing, doesn't it? So it's changing one thing into another to help with the explanation. It's changing something into a human-like trait so that we can understand it better. So sin here, this is an anthropomorphism of sin. The the word behind it is hamartia. And we're going to talk some about that, so just kind of tuck that Greek back in your head somewhere. Hamartia. Sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrote in, I'm sorry, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, again, covetousness. For without the law, this is beautiful, without the law, sin was dead. 
So what did he say here? He said, sin took occasion by the commandment and created or wrought or made in me all manner of covetousness. As soon as, as, soon as the, the rule was, thou shalt not covet, all I wanted to do was covet. That's what he's saying. I just wanted to covet. Why? Well, without the law, sin is dead. If I didn't know what coveting was, I didn't know coveting existed, I didn't know any of that stuff, then I wouldn't be even thinking about it. I'd just be going, well, he's got that, and I've got this, and I guess, you know, that's how it is. Do you see it? That's what happened when we ate from the wrong tree. The knowledge of good and evil. We put ourselves under the law of sin and death. We put ourselves under the enemy. We gave over what God had given to us and became slaves to something else because now we know what's good and what's not good. Before we didn't. So we lived along in a nice, happy, joyous life, you know, supping with the Lord in the cool of, walking with the Lord in the cool of the day in this beautiful garden. Does it make sense? Without the law, sin was dead. If we had never eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, no sin. Verse 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, came back to life, and I died. Charles Ryrie says this about that. When Paul came to understand the true meaning of the law, he realized that he was a sinner and worthy of death. Now this is the guy who in defending himself to the Corinthians listed all these things. You know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews trained under the best guys and, you know, according to the law, perfect. This is what Paul thought of himself at one time. Right? Uh, my behavior was I towed the line. I did it all right. I followed all the rules. But then Ryrie rightly points out here when Paul came to understand the true meaning of the law cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, lusting after a woman in your heart is committing adultery already. Right? Being angry is like murder. So when he began to re understand the true meaning of the law, he realized he was a sinner and worthy of death. And that's why in another place, Paul, who says, according to the law, perfect, later says of himself, I was the chief of sinners. You see how his entire perspective changed. That, my friends, is repentance. That's metanoia. Change your mind about sin and about God. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Verse 10, and the commandment, which was ordained to life, in other words, intended to show me how to live, I found to be unto death. There's a place where Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find life. 
These are they which speak of me, but you will not come to me to have life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So he, he's saying the scriptures point to Christ. They point to Jesus. They point to me, he says. It isn't in the law that you're going to find life. The law points to me. It's the, it's the point we're making over and over in our study of Genesis and every time we've touched in the Old Testament that it's about belief and faith. They believed in the promise and it was counted unto them as righteousness. We saw that with Noah this morning. He was perfect and walked with God. How was that? Because he believed God. Abraham believed the promise God gave him. Counted to him as righteousness. Verse 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Sin killed him. Because once he stacked up his behavior against the commandment, he realized, oh, it isn't just about what I physically do. It's also about the motive of my heart. It's also about what I think, how I perceive, whether I'm judging or not. Wherefore, the law is holy. And the commandment holy and just and good. Later in Timothy, Paul will write, the law is good if you use it properly. And that's the key. It isn't designed for believers. It has nothing whatsoever to do with you. It has to do with showing people that they cannot stack up to the righteousness required of God without Him. You must rely on Christ's righteousness because any righteousness you might do is simply not even in the ballpark. Even the Old Testament prophets knew that. All my righteousnesses, righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Doesn't matter how good a life you live, you can't stack up. Verse 13 Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin might, by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. He's just reiterating in another way here exactly what I've been saying. That sin took advantage of him by the law and worked death in him through that good law. So that by the commandment, because he knew the law, sin would become exceedingly sinful. And this is the thing. This is how we properly honor the law of God. We raise it to its actual standard where it belongs. And we recognize that we are in, incapable of keeping it. And we have no choice. If we want to be righteous, if we want a relationship with God, if we want to stand with Him, if we want to live with Him, 
The only choice is to rely on what he did and not what we're doing. All you can do is throw yourself on him. And that's what believing is all about. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4 says this, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For we are, ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? Don't you walk as men? For while one says, I'm of Paul, and another of, I'm Apollos, are you not carnal? So you see, he's looking at the Corinthian church there and saying, look, you're just still not getting it. You know, these things shouldn't be happening in the body of Christ. If you're walking according to the Spirit, it's not about competition. <laughs> there shouldn't be all this division. There, needs, there should be love. So I have to speak to you in carnal ways because that's the kind of life you're living. But when you grow and you start walking according to the Spirit, then you can speak in spiritual ways. And so he says here that he is carnal. Sold under sin. How is he carnal? Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. But what I would, that I do not. What I hate, that I do. Wow. This is Paul, the apostle. That's quite a struggle, isn't it? So Paul is going to show us this struggle using his own experience as an example. People argue vehemently about whether Paul is talking about himself before salvation or after salvation. And it can be a little bit confusing when you read through here to figure out what it is. Um, I believe he's saved and talking about the struggle he still faces as a believer. When he finds himself doing things that are out of character for a child of God. Some point out that he says he's a slave to sin, and that can only be true if he wasn't yet saved at the time in his life he's describing. I understand that argument, but I think Paul himself puts it to rest in verses 22 and 23, and we'll get there shortly. Okay, verse 15, that which I do, I allow not, for that, for what I would, that I do. Man, I hate the way this is written. <laughs> For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. So in other words, the things he doesn't want to do, he's doing. And the things that he sh wants to do, he's not doing. Verse 15, Galatians uh, 5.17 says this, and we read this earlier, but let me clarify what's going on here in Paul's experience. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one another, so you cannot do the things you would. You see, Paul is explaining it here to these believers in Galatians in exactly those terms, isn't he? 
He's saying the flesh and the spirit war against each other. Now some grab onto that and say, you see, you still have your old sinful nature. But All right, Romans 8 next week. And uh, I think we'll enjoy that chapter as well. There's great truth there. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his candor about his life. We pray that we would, we would be able to risk being completely honest and transparent with one another so that the work that you've done in us would be more obvious, that we could encourage one another by showing what you've done in our lives. It just makes it more real for us. But we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's candor. We thank you for the way that he has laid out for us how his life was and what his struggle was and how he was, he, you gave him the inspiration to think through the reasons and present them so that we could study them and gain from them and learn from them these centuries later. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you love us. It is so amazing that you do. Even while we were sinners, you loved us. We pray that we would remember that you love all people, even sinners. We thank you once again for this morning and this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.